Brother Jay. What's going on, boy? What's up, Livy Way? I've always wanted to do that. Bring the energy. My wife told me to do it too. Um, first pick, I just wanted to share. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, like Pastor Ray said, I have a beautiful wife, Deborah, and three crumb snatchers, uh, Nathaniel, Naomi, and Noble. So they couldn't be here with me on this trip, but they send their regards, and we're just so grateful and thankful for everything you guys have sown into our family. Um, before I get to the next slide, I just, like Pastor Ray said, God's really been putting Mongolia on our family's heart. We, I, I took a trip last year. Um, so I think I shared the testimony here about just how um, I got a first-class upgrade on a, on a plane ride to Mongolia. And in that process, uh, the president and CEO, CEO of one of Mongolia's top gold mining companies uh, came to the Lord. Um, and I think that was just a sign from the Lord that there's like this calling uh, for my family, uh, for the nation. And as a result of that, last month we invited a lot of uh, ministry leaders from Mongolia to come uh, ideate and brainstorm and just cast vision for what we are believing for uh, in Mongolia. Um, you know, Matthew 28 talks about this need to go and uh, disciple nation or make disciples in nations. But we found out that you can even drop that word make and just say disciple nation. So we, we really wanted to take that call into Mongolia to see transformation there um, as a nation. Um, and, you know, the more I study Mongolia, actually I heard and learned that it was, it may be one of the greatest missed opportunities for the church. What do I mean? Uh, Kubla Khan, uh, Genghis Khan's son, one time sent an invitation to the uh, Pope at the time, Pope Gregory X, saying, if you send a hundred priests to Mongolia and they convince me of your religion, then there will be more Christians or believers in my parts than in the rest of the world, because Mongolia at that time took up a fifth of the world. Um, unfortunately, there was no hindsight from the Pope at that time. He only sent two priests, none of which made it to Mongolia. Instead, uh, Kublai Khan reached out to Tibet. He was also interested in Buddhism. And was the first person to actually translate uh, all the Buddhist teachings into Mongolian. And, you know, that's probably a big reason why 55% of the nation is still Buddhist. So um, just a really opportune time that we see as a church in Mongolia. It's less than 2% Christian. Uh, one organization that I'm really involved with is called Bless Mongolia. If you want to show that slide. Um, what their vision is, is to really bring transformation in Mongolia through um, getting the Bible into every household. So what they did is to really map out the total number of households in Mongolia, which comes out to a little over 900,000. Uh, from there, they were able to use an app that we developed in YWAM. If you go to the next slide, it'll show you kind of how they mapped out all these different parts of Mongolia. And if you drill down into that app on the next slide, you'll see like how they were able to kind of track um, all the Bible deliveries and engagement that they're, you know, taking to every household. Green means that there are successful Bible deliveries. Yellow means they were not home. Red means they didn't want it. And I think blue means they wanted another translation. Um, if I look at the map holistically, I just see a lot of green. So that just tells me that the nation is really open. 
Um, so we are really going after it, not just with Bibles, but really to bring in discipleship as well and church planning movements. But if you go to the next slide, it also kind of just shows you testimonially what, what happens when you kind of engage in these outreaches. Uh, the woman in the bottom left picture in the blue, she went and did these Bible distribution projects with Blessed Mongolia in 2019. God really stirred her heart. And she's like, man, I can't just like leave these people with just a Bible. And eventually she moved there, built her own house out of that brick house a few years later, and just started living with the community and doing weekly Bible studies with them, going deeper. So this is how God moved in, in, in this woman's life, which is really amazing. Uh, she's still part of Blessed Mongolia. If you go to the next slide. Um, so out of the total 900,000 uh, households in Mongolia, this ministry has delivered Bibles to over 93,000 so far. So just a little over 10% of the population. Uh, I think their population is like 3.2 million in total. So not a hard feat, but if you keep going, um, this is just some of the... Um, next slide. Um, Oh, just some of the uh, metrics in terms of like the amount of teams we took in over that four-year course. Reminder, uh, pandemic was like two years of that too, and they just still went hard. So we had 133 churches participate in, um, as well as 21 different Christian organizations kind of just partner with us in different uh, um, avenues too. So uh, if you go to the next slide, this is what uh, we're believing for or they're believing for in Blessed Mongolia is just to continue uh, this route of evangelism, kind of really take on just a holistic opportunity towards uh, this ministry where it's not just Bible delivery. It's like meeting the needs of the people, like mercy ministry, and um, also mobilizing the local church and believers to also join and partake in this. So if you go to the next slide, um, you know, this is just an extension of maybe what Pastor Ray is saying. Like, if you guys are called, I just met with, like, some people, like Brian. Uh, I know my buddy Daniel, his wife Christine went to Mongolia, like, Brian's been there four times. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, people are, like, just coming out of the woodwork telling me they're, they're interested in Mongolia. So if you're, if you're um, interested in joining, please reach out to me. I think my kids wanted to share a video really quick. If you go to the next slide, um, you can just see a one-minute snippet. Okay, Noble. Okay, Noble. Okay, can you look at me real quick? <laughs> So, what are we going to do in Mongolia? We're gonna give out Bibles. Okay, what else? And we're gonna preach the gospel. Oh, wow, preach the gospel, okay. So they know God, uh -huh. and that's it. Okay, thank you. Now I get a chance. Hey guys, my name is Naomi. And today is my ninth birthday, and in the summer we're going to Korea and Mongolia, and uh, I would like to raise funds for that. So click click on the link below, and you should try this sparkling water. It's good. Dad. <laughs> yeah. So on the. <laughs> we're fundraising for this trip. Uh, the next slide has a QR code on it if you want to take out your phones and scan it there's a way you can uh give to it or you just go to receiveprayer.com 
Um, what's really neat is for every $100 we raise for the sponsorship or for our trip, we're actually going to write your names in these Bibles that we start distributing to people and a message that you want to uh, maybe impart to a family or person who receives the Bible. Um, and we'll record it and get it back to you. Uh, but we just thought that was a cool way for you guys to also be a part of this. So uh, feel free to go to the website or donate. And then um, uh, without further ado, let me uh, get into introducing our speaker for today. Um, he, has, he is someone who lives in Kona with us. Um, just a dear friend. I think that's what he excels in. Um, outside of his amazing testimonies, I think he has like six near-death experiences. And I'm not talking about getting a paper cut and just bleeding to death, but like really serious like events that have happened to him. And by the grace of God, he's still alive. And, um, you know, we really bonded over kimchi jjigae. Um, he has a huge penchant and affinity for Korean food. And when someone tells you they love kimchi jjigae, you know they're pretty advanced. Like it's not just Korean barbecue, it's kimchi jjigae. It's like you know the complexity of that. So, you know, we bonded. He loves spicy food. Um, he's lived in Afghanistan, uh, Kabul for 10 years, Turkmenistan for a year. He's been to over 120 nations to date. Um, you know, I was trying to count out how many I'd have to do in my lifetime to get there. That's like two a year for the next 60 years just to get there. But teaches all around the world, um, just really brings the love of God. And, you know, he's written three different books, um, all right here, all of which will actually be available for sale and autograph downstairs after he speaks. I remember getting one of these books to one of my friends who has a heart for missions, and uh, he was just crying his eyes out um, the, after the first page, I think. I don't want to put him on blast, but um, um, anyways, uh, without further ado, Dan, why don't you come up? Let's give him a hand clap. Yes. I don't, I'm not using that. Don't need that. Sorry. He's also single. Not, not ready to mingle, though. Just wants to get married. Uh, good morning. How are you? It is so good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so fun to be with Jay and to hear even the story. I heard more today than I've been hearing about what they're doing in Mongolia. Oh, my gosh. I get so excited that, you know, in a just normal course of life, all of a sudden, Mongolia, this random, for me it was random, it's not to God, but this nation comes into our view, and over engagement in what God's doing in Mongolia, we are a part of seeing transformation in a whole nation. Woo! And I just get so excited about their trip this summer, excited for what God's doing. And yeah, I'm from the YWAM community in Kona. <laughs> Pray for us. You know, we felt called to Kona. <laughs> you know, someone's got to do it, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes you struggle if you hear God, you know. <laughs> yeah, when God said go to Hawaii, I'm like, I think it's the Lord, you know. So, Yeah. <laughs> But it is our biggest training center in Youth with a Mission in North America. We have about 2,000 students a year come through our schools, and then we send them to over 100 nations every year all over the world. And then with that is projects. And one of them is ending Bible poverty and oral translation of the Bible. And one of our targets this last year has been Mongolia. So we're so excited to be a part. And and Jay and Debbie, thank you for letting them come be with us. They are such a gift to our community. Who they are, their life, their, 
their kids and just being a part of our family and giving to us, not just in what they do, but just socially and in friendship. And yeah, we just feel so grateful that they're with us. So thank you for, yeah, being behind them and what they do. And what they do is just so farther reaching than just Hawaii into the lives of many that are all over the world. Even from Kona right now, we have over a thousand people that are all over the world doing outreach that did our training earlier last year. And so, yeah, what God is doing is just such a blessing. So, yeah, this morning as I'm with you, I just want to just tell you more about the goodness of God. You know, I grew up and I heard that God was good. And when I got older, I realized that's ah, not the best way to say it. But a better way is that he's really good. <laughs> and then I got older and I'm like, no, nah, I don't think that's the best way to say it. A better way is that he's really, really good. <laughs> Deep theology. I think the Christian life is coming to this place of waking up every day and realizing, like, Jesus is really, really, like, really, really, like, really, really, really good. Ha, <laughs> ha. Uh, tell that to your neighbor. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want to believe? Yeah. And as I look at the Lord and as I study and walk with him, I'm discovering that it's really true, that he really, really is that good. It's very special for me to be here in the Pasadena area. Are we in Pasadena exactly? I think, huh? On the border. <laughs> Pasadena has a big part of my history, and I've never been able to share here. I've driven through a couple times, but my mom came with her whole family in the 50s to Pasadena. And she went to Pasadena City College, and this was her home. And then she met my dad, who had came from Switzerland. So my mother from Sweden, dad from Switzerland, they met at a church on the 10 and the 110. A church down there, which at that time was a Swedish church. Not that today, but that's where they met. And so Pasadena was always a part of the history. And then we settled in Manhattan Beach where my dad was a carpenter, mom was a housewife, my church, I grew up in Torrance, and so I'm from, I'm from L.A., and so it's always great to come back here, great to be at home, and um, yeah, just so grateful. Yeah, missions, I'm so glad you're having this focus on missions at your church. Missions is very much a part of my family. It didn't start out that way. Again, we were just normal churchgoers. Life was life. And my older sister, I have an older sister, and then me, and then a younger sister. And my older sister heard of this organization called Youth with the Mission. And she heard that it's a mission organization where you come and do a six-month training course, like Jay and Debbie did in Kona. And you do three months of training and then three months to share about Jesus all over the world. So my older sister was 18, and she's thinking, eh, maybe I should check it out. And she goes ahead and does it, and she never left YWAM. <laughs> so she left, and everything was all sorted out, you know. She'd come back, go to college, and do the college thing, and something got her. <laughs> and while she was there, she was actually 21 years old, just serving and helping in YWAM. 
And the Holy Spirit began to speak to her heart, go to Nepal. She's like, where is Nepal? You know, like, is that next to Starbucks or what? She didn't know, you know. We don't, we're not great on geography in America. So, yeah, she finds out north of India was this nation of Nepal. And she began to just wait and wait and wait. And I remember a while later, she, she found out that there's no YWAM there, no one going there. And then she looked internally like, what could I ever do? And so she just sort of waited, thinking, ah, it's probably not going to work out. And then one day the leaders came to her and said, well, what's going on with Nepal? And she's like, well, yeah, you know, there's nothing there. There's no YWAM there, and no one's going there, and I don't know really what I'm doing. And then they asked a big question. What's in your heart? What do you think God's saying to you? And she's like, well, I think God is saying go to Nepal. (laughs) And so they're like, well, that's good enough. Just go. <laughs> and she's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> and so at age 21, my sister bought a one-way ticket to Nepal. <laughs> God says go. He doesn't say come back. <laughs> it's just what it says. But And my older sister is my hero. When I get older, I want to be like her. In Nepal, she had ups and downs, days where... Yeah, learning language and people interested in missions and in seeing Nepalis raised up for the kingdom of God. And then she had really hard days. Days where she was sick with dysentery and sickness and homesickness and always wondering if she had made a mistake. And she was in prison for her faith. It was for nine days. It was supposed to be for three years. And the first year she was over there. And I remember a lot of ups and downs. And I remember a year in, I gave her a call. I'm like, Liz, come home, you know. Like, I know it's hard. Like, God's really nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, he'll forgive you. No big deal. And my sister said this. Yeah, Dan, I could come home. And yeah, I'm not sure God said come here. I just think he did. And yeah, it's hard. But at the end of the day, I think he wants me here. And that's enough for me. And she stayed. And if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. Today in Nepal, we have over 20 locations around the country. We have over 500 full-time Nepali staff. We have over 1,000 Nepalis going through our training courses every year. We've planted over 300 churches around Nepal. Go God. Go God. Her and her husband started our work in India, where today we have over 2,000 full-time workers in over 100 locations, planning churches, 2,000 churches now. God is moving in India, Nepal, and they raised their two daughters in India, and now their oldest daughter is now long-term as a missionary in Turkey. She just moved last year. The youngest daughter lives here, and she's actually in Hollywood. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my older sister, her family. I've been involved in missions over 30 years. Afghanistan for 10. I was in Iran. I was in prison, which, <clears throat> yeah, I'll tell you the story about. I got out, <laughs> in case you're wondering. And then, yeah, now... I was uh, in Colorado, and now I'm in Hawaii. And then my younger sister, she's also one of my heroes. 
she had a big dream for India, and she felt like God said, go to Kashmir, which is one of the states of North India. I don't know how much you know, but North India is the second biggest Muslim nation in the world. North India having about 180 million Muslims. And so God began to speak to her this place, and she got married and lived for 25 years, raising four kids in North India. And so that's all three of the kids became missionaries. So my parents are like, man, if we ever want to see our kids, we got to join missions. <laughs> so they joined. <laughs> my parents are heroes. My dad used to go to church every Sunday, and one day the people came to him and were like, you know, your three kids are all over the world. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it hard? And my dad's like, well, no, I just wish I would have had 10 children so they all could be missionaries. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, why don't you want us around? <laughs> but my mom, my mom's a hero as well for me. Yeah, when she found out I was in prison in Iran, in the first public prayer meeting, this is what she prayed. God, I pray that Dan does not get out of prison till all your purposes are fulfilled. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Dang, I'm glad somebody else was praying. <laughs> I might still be there. But my mom's a hero. She's actually written a book, Releasing Your Children to the Lord. The biggest challenge for young people today who want to do missions is often their parents, who for security, a finance, or whatever reason, really don't want to see that happen. And my mom was just like, no, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord with their money, with their futures, and whatever God tells them to do, I want to get behind it. And that was my mom. And so she's a hero. She's with us now in YWAM in Hawaii. And uh, my dad's gone home to the other side a few years ago. So that's my family. My own journey of walking with God is so connected to what happened when I was 16, actually right up here in Big Bear. My church, I had a youth retreat up there. And I was a Christian and everything, but it was all in here, not in here. How do you get it from like a head knowledge to a heart knowledge? I didn't know. And a guy came to my church and what he said would change my life. But what I had no idea was that as it began to change my life, it would continue to change my life throughout my whole life, even till today. And this is what he said. He said, everything you do for God should come from intimacy with God. That whatever you do for God should come from intimacy with God. I'm like, okay, that's good, but how do you get it? Like, what is intimacy with God? It's kind of like friendship. How do you get this friendship with God? So we went out, and there was this river, and I found some rocks and just kind of threw rocks in the water. And I was thinking, how do you get friendship with God? Like, how does that work? And as I'm throwing these rocks, I hear a question pop into my mind. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? I'm like, what was that? So I kept throwing rocks. Like, how do you get friendship with God when you're doing laundry? How do you get friendship with God when you're at work? How do you get friendship with God when you're just going for a walk? I didn't know, and I'm throwing these rocks, and I hear it a second time. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? I'm like, what was that? So I kept throwing rocks. Like, how does it work, like, from, okay, somebody standing here might say something, but how does that translate into my world? 
you know, especially if I'm at school or just living life. And as I'm thinking, throwing rocks, I heard it a third time. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? So I finally stopped. I'm like, where's that voice coming from, you know? I don't think it's the devil, right? He wants to throw rocks at us, you know, not with us. I don't think it's me unless I'm going psycho, you know. But it can't be God. No, God's out there, and God's great, and he, yeah, he's got a lot of things on his mind, and me throwing rocks is random, you know, like random moment in Dan's random life. Like, why would God care? So I kept throwing these rocks, and I kept hearing it. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? So I finally stopped. I'm like, Jesus, yes, you can throw rocks with me, but why? And that's when I felt Jesus look down from heaven and said these simple words right to my heart. Because you want to. I'm like, that's it? He's like, that's it. And for the first time in my life, I began to discover that Jesus was madly in love with me. He wasn't just in love with me for what I would do for him. He wasn't just in love with me for what I would become. No, he was in love with me for me. Like if I want to go for a walk, he wants to go for a walk. That if I want to go to the store, he wants to go to the store. If I want to go to the beach, he wants to go to the beach. Why? Make sure I'm doing the right thing? No, simply because he enjoys my company. On that day, I discovered that Jesus likes me. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, love, yeah, but he also likes us, you know. I didn't like myself, but on that day I discovered he likes me. He likes you. <laughs> he told me this morning. <laughs> Tell your neighbor Jesus likes you. <laughs> on that day I discovered the unconditional love of God. Do you ever struggle with that? Okay, it's unconditional, but don't do this. Okay, it's unconditional, but no, it is unconditional. Like there is nothing we can do in our entire life that will make God love us more than he loves us right now. And as I discover this love of God, it changed my life. I meet two kinds of Christians, those that are living for the Father's approval and those that are living from the Father's approval. So many Christians are like, if I just do a little bit more, God will be happy with me. And then there's those of us who are discovering, no, we're in, we're in. And we can live our whole life from this reality that we love. As I began to discover the love of God, it changed my life. I began to realize that Christian life is not about living out of obligation. It's about simply living overflow of a simple reality that we're loved. What happens when you know you're loved is you want to love back. How do you love God back? You find out what's on his heart. What's on his heart is a wonderful world that he created, that he longs that his name be known to them. Missions was not something I just thought of as an option. No, no, no. It's just simple reality of when you know you're loved, you just want to love him back. As I began to discover the love of God, it changed my life. But what I didn't know is that I would discover throughout my life that there's so much more. Many days I wake up and it's like this. Jesus, good morning, what should I do? And Jesus is like, Dan, good to see you. 
We'll talk about that later. But first, here's more, my love. <laughs> and life goes on. Many days I wake up, okay, God, I know you love me, but what should I do? And Jesus is like, Dan, good to see you. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But first, here's more, my love. <laughs> and life goes on. Okay, God, yeah, okay, I know you love me, but what should I do? And Jesus is like, Dan, <laughs> good to see you. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. But first, here's more, my love. <laughs> like the love of God is an unending ocean. The Christian life is to wake up and let God love us. The more we know the love of God, the more it will change us internally and it will cause us to live a life that he always dreamed that we live. And the more I discover it, the more it overwhelms me. When I'm 90 years old, <laughs> I want to be in an old people's home. <laughs> I love those places. <laughs> you get to be with your friends every day. <laughs> you get to learn their name every day. <laughs> Those places are awesome. And when I'm 90, I think it's going to be like this. Okay, Jesus, good morning. What should I do? And Jesus is going to be like, Dan, good to see you. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But first, here's more of my love. <laughs> and the love of God takes over. And this has been my journey, a journey of discovering the love of God. Again and again, as the love of God began to hit my heart, his heart for the Muslim world began to become so real for me. And by God's grace, he let me go to Afghanistan where I lived for 10 years. I love Muslims. <laughs> Many Muslims have become some of my dearest friends. I've learned so much about Jesus from Muslims. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. I love Muslims. And I got to live in Afghanistan for 10 years. It was all God's grace and gift to me. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 23 and I moved there. Didn't have money. Didn't know what I was doing. And it was God's gift. I got to learn language, which was such a gift from God. I did a four-month language course there in Afghanistan. At the end of this course, the Afghan teacher said, oh, you're the worst student I ever had. I'm like, wow, you got the gift of encouragement, you know. <laughs> you're never learning the language. Today I speak the language. <laughs> and missions became this thing, a concept I'd heard about, and all it simply was is the overflow of discovering the love of God. The Christian life is so simple. It's that we discover the love of God, and then you can't shut up, you know. <laughs> you just got to tell somebody about it. And that's what missions was for me. It was just a change of location to do what I was doing. And that location happened to be Afghanistan. And yet, while I was there, yeah, I went through some, some bigger challenges would, which would really shape my life as well. But not only that, it would continue in different ways to show me the love of God. One of those was this trip into Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world today. Did you know that? I get so excited for what God's doing. Afghanistan now is number two in that remark. 
Millions are coming to Jesus in Iran. We never hear that. Back then, it wasn't, we hadn't heard much about that at all. Me and a friend from South Africa were talking one day what we should do over Christmas. And as we were talking, my friend is like, man, we're so close to Iran. Let's go share the gospel. And I'm like, okay, but it's Iran. <laughs> like, that's a problem. And so we kept praying and praying. And yeah, long story short, I have two passports through my father. I'm also Swiss. I'm Swiss-American. And then, yeah, my friend was South African. Switzerland and South Africa had embassies in Iran. We got a two-week visa into Iran. I'll never forget that. We got on a bus trip, $16. (laughs) Outreach cost. I'll never forget getting on that bus. I remember as I took one step onto the bus, this fear goes, you ever struggle with fear? I struggle with fear a lot in my life. And so many times when I start to get afraid, I start to analyze. Like, how could this be God? Or what am I doing? Maybe it's not the right thing. And I remember as I stood on that, that bus, realizing I'm actually going into Iran and I could actually face some challenges. I remember just standing there going, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? What if I haven't heard God? Like, is this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And I remember as I stood there, all I wanted was like God to say, yeah, get off the bus. <laughs> That's not really what I really wanted. What I really wanted was to believe that he was good enough. And I remember as I stood there, I'm like, God, I'm struggling. And these simple words came back to my mind. Dan, what happened when you were 16? And I remember when I was 16, I threw rocks with God. I discovered that God liked me. I discovered that God trusts me, that God enjoys me. I'm like, I can go to Iran trusting that kind of a God. Why? Because we're close, you know? So I went into Iran. I'll never forget the first night in Iran, I'm eating a hamburger. (laughs) Life is good. (laughs) And this guy taps me on the shoulder, and he's like, you speak English? I'm like, yeah. He's like, where are you from? I said, America. He's like, oh, I heard Americans know about Jesus. I said, some do. I do. He's like, can you tell me? I'm like, sure. He takes us to his house. We gather 30 people, and we spend three hours talking about Jesus. <laughs> Blew my mind. All the heaviness that we hear and we receive, especially on the media through what's going on in the regime over there, we began to see a hunger among the masses, that there was a hunger for God. And now, years later, we see what's going on. But we began to see it there. We had a great two weeks, enjoying their hospitality, who they are, and that's when everything changed. We were on a local bus leaving the country. They took our passports to stamp them as we left Iran. Everyone got their passports back except for me and my South African friend. We waited, we waited. The bus driver said, yeah, we're getting ready to go. Are you coming? We're like, yeah, of course we're coming, but they took our passports. We don't know, and... About half an hour later, the bus left. Finally, the authorities who took our passports came. I speak the Iranian language. It's the same as Afghanistan. They came to us. They said, come with us. We're like, what happened? They said, come with us. And that's when they took us to this building. No explanation why. 
We walk in, and they're like, yes, we need to talk to you privately. And that's when they took me to one room and my friend to another room. And that's when they began to beat us. For about six hours, they hit me in the face. They began to spit on me, yell at me. After those six hours, they dragged me down the stairs where we had been brought in. They had done the same to my friend. They took away our glasses and blindfolded us. That's when they let us outside. As they let us outside, they threw us in the back of a van. They drove us across the town to another building. And it was there that they kept beating us late into the night. When they finally stopped, they took away all our clothes. They kept our glasses. They put us in prison clothes. And without any explanation, they led us down these stairs and they separated us. And they put me into one prison cell and my friend into another one. And we were in prison in Iran. What is life like in prison in Iran? The first thing I want to tell you is about the goodness of God. Why? He's still good even when you don't feel it. He's still good even when you can't see it. The very first thing I did in prison is I cried out to God, Jesus, how long will I be here? And I felt like God speak to my heart and say, Dan, you're going to be here for nine weeks. I'm like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. (laughs) You get it wrong sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Shoot, maybe the nine was right, you know, maybe it was nine minutes. (laughs) I never knew one day to the next how long I would be there. But the day that I was released from prison was nine weeks to the minute. Exactly what God said. Why? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. (laughs) Circumstances do not determine the goodness of God. God determines the goodness of God. We cannot let our experience determine who God is. God determines who God is. And it's been such a beautiful journey and it was so real there. My life in prison as a little cell like this. I was alone the whole time. I had to sleep on the floor. They had a big door with a peak hole and the light was on 24 hours a day. A toilet and a sink. And this was my world. They gave me two blankets and one became my mattress. And uh, yeah, I had to roll my sandals they had given me in the end of the blanket could be a pillow and then I had the other blanket what is life like in prison (laughs) it's no fun I used to take walks like this every day and then turn around you know four or five steps that got old they fed me twice a day with the food the food was hit or miss you know they would come with a big cart of food and I remember that first day I had a plate. I would always give them my food plate, and then they would fill it with chicken or rice or veggies or whatever. And that first day, they put three sugar cubes on the edge of my plate. And I'm thinking, I wonder what that's for. <laughs> and then they gave me a big cup of tea. And I'm like, oh, the sugar cubes are for the tea. And I remember that day thinking, wait a minute. I don't need to put the sugar cubes in the tea. I can drink the tea without the sugar cubes. Because you never know when you need a sugar cube. So that was my thinking. So the next meal, I got more sugar cubes. So after a while, I had a lot of sugar cubes. 
And I remember a couple weeks in, I'm like, wait a minute, where are they coming from? Sure enough, the next time they came, I look and I'm like, oh, they're taking three sugar cubes from these big boxes of sugar cubes. So I speak the language, so that day I'm like, can I have a whole box of sugar cubes? They're like, sure. (laughs) So I had over a thousand sugar cubes. There's so much fun to have with sugar cubes, it really is. So every day I had a lot of time, so I would make buildings, you know. I could make towers, you know. Forget Legos, sugar cubes. And I would play for hours and hours. And I remember the guards would walk by, and as they'd walk by, sometimes they'd watch me making my creations. And they'd be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this guy's been here too long. Uh, but it's good to laugh. It's good to look back at hard times and laugh. Uh, reality is, it was the worst time of my life. Yeah, God loves me, then why am I there? I had two death sentences on my life. One for being a missionary, one for being a spy. And yet while I was there, yeah, I tried to have moments of faith. Moments of hope. But what I would discover is that not only is God for me, he's not for me just when I'm doing well, but he's for me even when I'm doing bad. Prison was the worst time of my life. And I'll tell you about the worst day of my life because of the end of the day. But I woke up two and a half weeks in when I'd learned about the death sentences on my life. And inside, I was done. And as I woke up, I had this thought. Like, Dan, why live here the rest of your life? Check out. And in the room was a sink. And I had an idea. I could take my sock and I could plug the sink. If I filled it with water and if I put my head underneath, they'd given me a big towel. And I could tie it really tight on one end of the towel. There was a towel hanger thing on the side of the sink. If I did that, had my head under the water and put the towel over my head and then tied this side really tight, if I tied it tight enough, then when I start gagging because of the water, I can't untie it fast enough. And I thought to myself, Dan, get out of here. And four times I tried. And every time I tried, I was too scared. I was too scared to tie the other side tight. So when I tied it tight, I didn't tie it tight enough. I was able to untie it and get my head out of the water. I'll never forget the last time I tried. Again, I tried and again I failed. And I fell to the ground. If I was ever aware of my shame, I was aware of my shame on that moment. Like, Dan, what are you doing Like, Dan, how could you do this? And in my brokenness, something happened. All glory to Jesus. But the room fills with a beautiful light, and the room starts shaking. I'm thinking it's an earthquake, and I lift my head, and I see the beautiful light. I've had many visions in my life. This time was so real, very similar to what you might have seen on The Chosen. But Jesus was standing there in the room. His face was filled with kindness. 
His face was filled with acceptance and warmth and love. And I felt Jesus look right at me, right into my heart and say these simple words, Dan, I still like you. Dan, I still love you. And if you let me, Dan, I'll take care of you. And from that day until today, I have never had those thoughts again. That's who Jesus is. He did not just rescue me from prison. He rescued me from me. That in the midst of my junk, in the midst of my problems, he was still good. Why? Because it's just just who he is. It's just who he is. And life went on in prison. One day they take me out and they put me into this room. We're walking down a hallway. I'm always blindfolded. I walk into this room. They say, get dressed. I look inside and I'm like, okay, I saw an extra set of prison clothes, but what is it? They're like, oh, it's your shower day. Take a shower first. And I look and there was a shower. And then at that moment, they closed the door. When they closed the door, I didn't hear a lock. So I looked on my side and there was a lock on my side. So I locked the door and I took a shower. Oh, the shower was nice, too. You know, hot water, good water pressure. About five minutes into the shower, they came banging on the door. Get out of the shower. I'm like, coming. (laughs) And I enjoy the shower. (laughs) It was nice. Another five minutes went by. They hit the door even harder. We said, get out of the shower. I said, coming. (laughs) And I enjoy the shower. Like, what are they going to do? Put me in prison? (laughs) I'm already there. So I spent an hour in the shower. (laughs) Uh, I would finally come out. They're like, why did you take so long? I'm like, I've got nothing to do. Okay, okay, go to your cell. I'm like, that's where I thought I was going. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, all glory to Jesus. My friend was released after five weeks. He got a phone call from Nelson Mandela, the president of South Africa, and he got out. They were a buyer of Iranian oil. It was a real political thing that it turned out, I found out later, and out of politics, South Africa was a buyer of Iranian oil, and my friend got out. I remember thinking, why does he get to go and not me? And yet, while I was there, even in the midst of my lowest moments of my life, God was still good. Let me tell you a couple of stories. All glory to Jesus. One day they take me outside and put me onto a bus. They take me to a courthouse. I said, what are we doing? They said, oh, it's your trial day. I'm like, trial? They're like, yeah, the two death sentences. Today is your trial. I didn't know. They walked me into a courtroom and it was filled with people, over 100 And then there were video cameras, and as I was there with all these video cameras, they had me standing there on the on the witness stand, and as I stood there, all of a sudden, this man walks in, turns out he was the judge, and he looks at me and he says this. He said, This is your chance to speak, sir. This is your last chance. Tell us why today did you come to Iran? I would love to tell you I was not afraid. No, I was afraid. <laughs> and I'm shaking. Ha <laughs> ha. But there was something bigger. Ha <laughs> ha. Jesus. 
And a scripture pops into my mind. Matthew 10, 19. Don't be afraid when you're called before the authorities, for at that time I'll give you the words to say. So I looked at that judge and I said, Sir, I came here today to tell you about Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like, what did I say? (laughs) And when I said it, something woke up within me. And the fear started to trickle off. And what was underneath was the true Dan who was saved by the blood of Jesus. And I said it a second time. And then a third time. And every time I proclaimed the love of Jesus, something happened inside of me. And I ended up preaching over half an hour. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and... Yeah, maybe you're wondering why you're here today. Well, Jesus loves you, and he loves you, and I just got going. And about halfway through my sermon, (laughs) unplanned, I began to realize something else. I was free. I was free. Why? Because you can't kill a dead man. You can't kill a dead man. So what if they get this? My home is heaven, and I'm going home to heaven, and no one can take that away. And I was free. <laughs> and I kept preaching. <laughs> yeah, they didn't kill me, <laughs> in case you're wondering. <laughs> One of the most special moments in my life, that in the midst of my weakness, he was so good. And life went on. Something else God did in my heart was a process. It started on day one. On day one, I would be beaten by this man. I had no idea that on that day I would be beaten by him. I would continue to be beaten by him every day for the following many weeks. And I'll never forget the first day he's beating me. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. I'm like, not a good time. (laughs) Not a good time. And God says it again. Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. And all this injustice is just flowing through me like, no, 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 no. Like, not now. Not this guy. This is so wrong on so many levels. And wonderful Jesus changed the subject. I love when he does that in my journey. Dan, ask me what I think of him. I'm like, okay, God, what do you think of this guy? And the love of God hit me. I realized that God knew his name, that God had always loved him, that God knew the name of his wife and his kids. He'd always loved him. There was just one challenge, and it was that he didn't know it. I'm like, God, you really love him. He's like, Dan, more than you'll ever know, more than you'll ever know. I'm like, God, change my heart, change my heart, and all glory to Jesus. He changed my heart, and I started to bless him, say nice things about him. The beatings continued, but my heart shifted. I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I had no idea it would be the last day I'd see him. They would always take me out of my cell to the interrogation room, They'd always take off my blindfold. I'd be shaking. On that day, there he was. And as I was standing there, all of a sudden, something happened. Ha ha, Jesus. 
And I looked at him on that day and I said this. I said, sir, if I'm going to see you every day the rest of my life, let's become friends. He's like, what? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, let's be friends. Why not? We see each other every day. He's like, we will never be friends. And something rose up within me. I said, no, sir, today things change. Today we become friends. And we can start by exchanging names. He had never told me his name. That wasn't allowed. My name was 58 because that was the number of myself. And I looked at him and I said, sir, today things change. Let's shake hands, become friends, and exchange names. And I stuck out my hand like this to shake his hand. And that's when he froze. Then he starts to shake. He starts to look around. Just me and him in there. He took his hand out of his pocket and he shook my hand. When he shook my hand, he wouldn't let go. And then tears started to fall down his face. And he looked at me and he said, Dan. And he called me by my name. He's like, my name is Razak, which is a common Iranian name, and I would love to be your friend. (laughs) There is no heart too hard for Jesus. Jesus can change the hardest heart. And he kept shaking my hand. As he shook my hand, he finally wiped the tears from his eyes. He's like, Dan, I'm so glad we're friends. (laughs) Like, yeah, me too. He's like, Dan, I'm so, so sorry. I said, no, no, I forgive you. Let's go forward. He goes, Dan, yeah, but I don't make the decisions. I can't get you out. I said, I know that. He goes, Dan, but in the prison, I have some authority. Do you want anything in the prison? I'm like, yeah, bigger room. (laughs) More room for my sugar cube buildings. He's like, you got a lot of sugar cubes? I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, let me see what I can do. And I've never seen that man again in my life. But that night, the night guards came and said, Sir, we have orders to move you to a bigger cell. And I knew that God had changed that man's heart. Why? Because there's no heart too hard for Jesus. Ah, amen. And life went on in prison. I'll never forget one day they take me out. And they put me into a van. They put me into this van. They put me next to an African man. I'm like, oh, maybe he speaks English. I look at him. I'm like, excuse me, do you speak English? He's like, yes, I do. And I recognize the accent. I'm like, dude, where are you from? He's like, Louisiana. (laughs) You're American? He's like, yeah, I'm an American. We're like, what's up? What's up, dude? I said, dude, how long have you been here? He's like, 15 months. I'm like, you're joking. He's like, no, 15 months. I said, why? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, no, seriously. He's like, I don't know. And we kept talking, and they heard us gabbing, and they finally separated us. I do know he got out of prison. He got out a few months after me. I'll never forget that night, though. Every night in that prison cell, I'd have moments of dreaming to get out, you know. I didn't care how I got out, you know. (laughs) Brad Pitt or Matt Damon with a rope from the ceiling. That works. Or what about the Christian thing, you know, an angel at the door? (laughs) Let's go. But that night I got really real. Like, Dan, he's American, you're American. He's been here 15 months, Dan. Like, Dan, what have you here 15 months? 
Like, Dan, what if you're here like five years? Dan, what if you're going to sit here for 10 years? Like, Dan, what if this is like it? And I'll never forget that night. As I sat in my cell, I looked up to Jesus and I said, Jesus, I just want one thing. And that is simply this, is to understand. I just want to understand. How could this be the plan? How could this be what I signed up for? How could this be it? And that whole night, wonderful Jesus said nothing. And I don't know the time, must have been two, three in the morning. But finally my soul gave up. And I gave up control. As I gave up control, I looked up to Jesus. I said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'd sit here forever. I don't understand why... You know, this is the plan, but God, I give it up. Why? Because I trust you. Why? Because you're good. And whatever is the plan, I trust you, God, with that thing. I don't need to figure it out. And I gave up control, and I said, God, I trust you, because I knew he threw rocks with me before. I knew he still liked me, and I knew he was for me. (laughs) Ha ha. And wonderful Jesus won my heart. He won my heart. What happens when God wins your heart? He often has a surprise around the corner. (laughs) Why? Because he's really nice. Literally three hours later, they walk with me. They came to my cell and they said, sir, come with us. Gather everything. I'm like, okay, it'll take a while. (laughs) Got a lot of sugar cubes. (laughs) They're like, yeah, you do. (laughs) So they take me, I don't know where I'm going, except maybe another cell. Instead, they take me to a room and they said, get dressed. I'm expecting another set of prison clothes, but instead it was my clothes. I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, I lost 55 pounds and they didn't fit. Put on my jeans holding my clothes, thinking, why am I getting dressed in my clothes? And the only thought I had was maybe it was my last day. Maybe it was my day of execution. They led me outside. They took me to the courthouse. I'm like, oh, is it another trial? They're like, no, we just have a simple meeting in an office. I'm expecting bad things. As I walk into this office... This man walks out. He turns out he was the head judge of all the courts of Iran. And he looks at me and he says this. As we've been working with the Swiss embassy here in the city, today we choose to release Dan Bauman, and he's a free man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And tears are running down my face. I'm thinking I'm going to die. And Jesus was like, surprise, (laughs) the best surprise ever. And Jesus did not just rescue me from prison. He rescued me from me. That in the midst of my lowest moments, he still wanted me. In the midst of me just being me, he wanted me. Why? Because he's that good. He's that good. I had to go with the Swiss ambassador to his house for a few days before they let me out of the country. It was very shady. He said the police or the, the president had made an executive order over the parliament, over the Congress, 
letting me go. No one really knew about it. He's like, we got to get you out of the country because people don't know that the president has made this edict that you could actually go. <clears throat> it was so touchy, like when I was there. I remember getting first in that ambassador's car at the prison. As we drove off, I locked the doors. <laughs> I finally got to his house. He told me what's going on, that we had to get out. A couple of days later, I got on a plane to Germany with a connecting flight down to Switzerland. I'll never forget finally getting on that flight. I'm sitting there about five minutes into the flight. I'm like, ah, oh, Dan, this is not just chat anymore. This is real. Like you're really out of Iran. About five minutes into the flight, I had that thought, and then I have another thought. Wait a minute. I've heard stories where there's a medical emergency on an airplane and they got to turn it around and go back to where they started. And I'm literally sitting there laughing at myself. Dan, your mind is messed up. As soon as I had that thought, there was an announcement over the speakers. Are there any medical personnel on board? Please come to the back. And I look behind me, and there's a lady lying on the ground. <laughs> you know what I had at that moment? <laughs> I had the gift of healing. <laughs> Sometimes you just know you got it. And I ran down that aisle, and I start praying over this lady. And the stewardess is like, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The stewardess is like, are you a medical doctor? I said, no, but we're not going back to Iran. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. She had enough of me. She's like, go sit down. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I sat down. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> I think it's the best prayer in the world. <laughs> the lady got up. <laughs> the plane kept going. <laughs> I don't know if I had the gift of healing, maybe. <laughs> I think I had the gift of panic. <laughs> it's not in the list, but I seem to get that one a lot. Aren't you glad it's all about Jesus? The more I discover how good he is, guess what? He wants to use us in moments of great faith, in moments when we feel strong. And guess what? He wants to glorify himself even in our weakness, even when we don't got it together. Why? Because he's that good. That's who Jesus is. We had a transit through Germany on the way to Switzerland. They'd given us meal vouchers because we'd been late on the flight if we had time in transit. I got some meal at a cafe. I saw a table full of Iranians with an empty chair, so I went like this, and I sat down. I didn't know they were Iranian. They just looked at So as I was eating, one of them looks at me and says, excuse me, do you speak English? I said, yes, I do. They said, oh, we're all Iranian, and we all speak English too, and we just came from Iran, and you look really familiar. Did you just come from Iran? I'm like, uh, yes, I did. They're like, oh, did you have a good time? <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, first two weeks were good. They're like, really? What'd you do? I said, oh, I went here and here and here. They're like, awesome. How long were you there? I said, well, I was there 11 weeks. Oh, but the first two weeks were good. Where were you the last nine? <laughs> I'm like, that's a direct question. 
I'm like, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's like, be honest. So the name, a household name in Iran of the most notorious political prison, Evin, they would all know it. So I said I spent nine weeks in Evin, and their eyes got big. Are you Daniel Bauman? I'm like, yeah. How do you know my name? Oh, we get papers from the government all the time, and they said they caught an American spy named Daniel Bauman. But we don't agree. We don't think you're a spy. We don't agree with a lot of what our government does. And for the next 15 minutes, they made the most loving comments. Did they beat you? Why did they beat you? Could you go outside? Why couldn't you go outside? Very loving questions. After 15 minutes, I had to catch my flight to Switzerland. I said, I'm so sorry. I have to go, but thank you. Thank you for sharing the love. I feel it. And three men stood up, and they all had tears in their eyes. And they said this, before you leave, sir, you need to know this. Please forgive our government for what they did to you. That is not the heart of the Iranian people. Ha <laughs> ha, I love Iranians. Ha <laughs> ah. ha. And I flew to Switzerland, and my parents came. My friend from South Africa came. And I could look at the sky again. I could go for a walk again. I could eat what I wanted again. I didn't have to play with sugar cubes again. (laughs) The greatest freedom God gave me back was that once again I could throw rocks with Jesus. Once again I could enjoy the lover of my soul and live life with him. And God gave me my freedom back. Since that time, I've been able to run around the world and continue to just tell people about Jesus. I could tell you so many stories about what God's doing around the world. He is winning. I just told you about Iran. Oh, my gosh, all over the Middle East. We are going to see more people come to Jesus in the coming years. It is just exploding all across the Middle East. I could tell you stories from every single nation. Since that time, I go all the way back to the Middle East a lot. Many times to Afghanistan and Armenia and many times to Iraq and Syria and Saudi Arabia. And if you look on a map, I go all the way around Iran. (laughs) People ask me, you going back to Iran? (laughs) Not today, no. I'm busy, so. Will I go? I hope so. What gets us out of the bed in the morning? What causes me to think, will I do that? Why would I do it? To be heroic? No, I don't care about being heroic. For me, it's really simple. When I was 16, I discovered that God of the universe loves me. And if I could spend part of my life to let the Iranian people know that their creator is madly in love with them, that's worth living for. That's worth living for. I get so excited when I think about God's dreams for the world. I get so excited when I think of where he's going and what he's doing and that we get to be a part. Whatever our involvement is, whatever our involvement is every day, God is moving on the earth. Where is God headed? Let me tell you this. A few years ago, I was sitting in my room and I started to shake and I had another vision. I've had many 
And this vision was very simple. I saw hundreds of cities of the world right in front of my eyes. Cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, cities like Zurich and Frankfurt and Paris, cities like Lhasa, Tibet and Delhi, India and Seoul, Korea and Bangkok and <clears throat> Jakarta, Indonesia and Johannesburg, South Africa and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, cities from all over the world. And in these cities, I saw thousands and thousands of young people in the center of these cities. And all they were doing was worshiping God. No one knew their names. No one knew who they were. And as they were worshiping God, people were flocking to the centers of these towns. They were coming from their workplaces. They were coming from their shops. They were coming from all over. Why? Because the glory of God, the presence of God was coming to these cities. That's where Jesus is headed, friends. He is going to go public on the earth. He's going to go public all over L.A. He's going to go public all over the earth. And he's going to go public all over Mongolia. That's where he's going. So what what we read in the media? So what about what, what we hear about? God is going to raise up a glory of his name. And that's where we're headed. And that's what we get to be a part of. <laughs> I get fired up. Ha <laughs> ha! I get excited because <laughs> he's really good. He's really good. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Amen. I don't know your situation. I don't know where you're at. But let me tell you this as your friend if God can deliver me from prison in Iran, he can do the impossible. Maybe you're facing something that looks impossible. Maybe you got friends that are facing something that looks impossible. If God can deliver me, he can deliver you, God. Because he's really good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah, if the worship team could come forward. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, I pray for my friends here. Thank you for this month they've had to focus on your dreams for the earth. I think it's just started and what you're going to do. Thank you, God, that whatever part we get to play, and we're so honored to have a small part in your dreams, where you're headed. God, I just pray for my friends, especially those that maybe have something in their lives that seems impossible, that seems really hard. God, if you can deliver me from prison, you can deliver them. And I pray, God, you would do that, that you would deliver friends from things that look impossible, from things that they don't see a way out. I pray, God, today that across this room that people would know that you're really, really like them. God, that you would deliver them from shame and condemnation around this room because it's not from you. That people would be free to know that you're the God in heaven who enjoys them. A God in heaven who loves them unconditionally. That it wouldn't be just something they heard about, but something they experienced. And God, as we are overwhelmed by your love, God, we just say thank you, God, for the privilege. The privilege, God, to be a part of your kingdom on the earth. What a privilege. Big or small ways. We're just honored to be a part. Because you're moving and you're going to win. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.